time to go big or go home with the division manager of primary residential mortgage in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Now, here's the entrepreneur and mortgage extraordinaire himself, James Harper. What would your mama say? Go big or go home. tuning in and listening to this week's podcast of Go Big or Go Home. I'm James Harper, the division manager here at Primary Residential Mortgage at our secret headquarters in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I always love to say that each and every week. Uh, there's just something about it I like to say it. Uh, but today we have a very special guest. Uh, all my guests are special in some sort of way because they inspire me and I hope they inspire you to make a difference in your life today. Um, so I want you to just sit back for the next 45 minutes, open your mind as you're driving down the road or you're on your way to your next uh, uh, thing in life, whether it be uh, coming home from work or driving to work or maybe uh, laying in bed before you go to sleep, but to open your mind and think bigger and more exciting things for yourself. I believe that anything is possible if you drop your excuses off at the door. Um, and so again, I'm James Harper. I want to make a difference in your life today. And hopefully something that you hear over the next 30 to 45 minutes will inspire you to jump, get off the bench, do something different than the same rat race that you're in now. Uh, I know it's happened in my life several times. And I know with uh, a lot of the, uh, the guests that we have on our show, it's happened to them. And so, therefore, I want to kind of segue that into our guest today. His name is Kevin Gillespie. And welcome to the show, Kevin. Well, James, it's, it's an honor to be here. I've, uh, I, I spoke in Huntsville, uh, Alabama on Monday morning and went over there on Sunday during the Super Bowl, and then uh, was in Detroit. And then last night, because of a snowstorm, I got caught, and then ended up sleeping on a bench for about three hours in the uh, DFW airport trying to get back to Austin. And boy, I, I wanted to go to sleep, but I, you were so inspiring to me, and you've been so helpful, and we trade ideas, and I love you like a brother. I, I was excited about doing this, and I'm just honored and humbled to be on here with you today. Well, we, we, we really appreciate it. So let, let me give a little bit of background on, on who Kevin is and what Kevin's about. And we're going to dive a little bit more into his background. I'll let him share some of the answers and, and testimony to what's gone on in his life over the last uh, how many ever years that he wants to go back. Uh, but currently, Kevin is the president and owner of Lakeway Lending, partner and coach of the Mortgage Marketing Animals, which is a Freedom Club leadership group. Uh, I'm very happy and, and honored to be a part of that same uh, Mortgage Marketing Animal Freedom Club group, which is a coaching uh, forum for loan officers and branch managers around the country. And it's definitely helped take me to the next level in my own personal business. Kevin is a personal coach of mine. Um, and so it's, it's always nice to get his feedback and his wisdom and knowledge as I um, try to continue to grow my, uh, my division here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He is also a co-author of the Amazon bestseller for small business, Crushing Call Reluctance 
for mortgage loan officers. We're gonna talk a little bit about that book today because even though it's crushing call reluctance for mortgage loan officers, I think we could really just apply that to just general sales. And uh, the call reluctance that most salespeople have, and maybe that can inspire some listeners out there that are in the, in the uh, sales business, but are afraid to pick up the phone. Um, he, Kevin is also a CMPS certified mortgage planning specialist, which is a special certification that you have to uh, take a test on. Uh, he's held executive level positions, including a COO and president of a couple of the nation's largest mortgage companies, mortgage lenders, and uh, is a past board member of the Texas Mortgage Bankers Association and Fannie Mae Advisory Board. Pretty good credentials, my friend. And uh, so we, we, uh, we will uh, love to dive a little bit more into those uh, current uh, accolades. Uh, but we want to rewind the tape right now, and we want to learn a little more about what has what Kevin was like in high school, going into college, uh, early 20s, early 30s. And one of the first things I always like to reflect on is what made you you today that you discovered that may have opened up your eyes when you were younger? What did you um, like to do growing up, whether it was earning money, whether it was doing something artistic, and you, you maybe uh, buried that or you um, flourished that as you started going out through your career early on and into today? Yeah, great question. I, there's probably, James, you know, always a lot of impacts for us, uh, but... Um, the truth is I grew up in a very lower middle class kind of blue collar family. My mom and dad split uh, kind of, you know, typical. They were both great parents. I mean, even though we had no money, what I was amazed at is their ability to instill value in morals. Um, they, they were great. And then, but because we had no money and when, after they divorced, we were on food stamps. And I remember at a young age saying, man, I, this isn't good. I had some friends that parents were doing a little bit better and, uh, you know, and then I'd see other folks doing well. And I, you know, I, I just wanted to do well, uh, compared to, to where I was at, was at. not nothing uh, bigger than that. And I, so I started working, boy, I think I've been working since I was 13 years old, a full-time job one way or another. And, uh, I was a mediocre student. In fact, I was pretty proud when I went in and and talked to the uh, dean about my uh, I, about my SAT scores. And I said, "Man, 1600." And he, <laughs> he looked at me and he said, "Kevin, you can't add the three times you took that test." <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So no, I it, 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 uh, I liked sports, uh, but was working most of the time. I loved to snow ski. I grew up in. Uh, Northern Ohio, right south of Detroit, and, uh, but moved to Texas after college and uh, had a couple of transfers as I, I grew up through corporate life. But uh, Texas, I, I met my wife there and uh, we had four kids. And so again, another motivator to get out and work hard and, and earn. And uh, so, yeah. So what do you, so uh, let's, let's go back to when you're 13 years old. 
And you, you mentioned something that I think is uh, very uh, critical. I mean, I know I've experienced, I experienced that around the same age. I think the cutoff age of being able to actually get W-2 income is 13. I don't know what it is today, but at least it was back then. And so I was so excited to be able to get my first paycheck when I was 13. I probably actually started when I was 12 working for a golf course. And I know you had mentioned that uh, you, uh, you did that as well uh, growing up. But um, just to kind of compare, and maybe this will trigger some things with you. Um, when I was growing up, I tried to have, I tried to find any way possible to make money because I, blew, I grew up in a blue collar, collar family. Dad was a factory worker. My mom worked for a, another factory as well. And uh, I wouldn't say that we were uh, even close to being moderately uh, wealthy at all. Uh, matter of fact, we, I think we tried to rub two pennies together to make a dollar as much as we could. And I saw that in my parents and I just knew that I never wanted to rely on them to give me the things that I wanted to get. And That's one thing that comes to mind I was 16 years old and polo had just come out and uh, I realized I wanted this polo shirt really, really bad. I don't even remember to this day. It was green with an orange little guy on it. And uh, my mother said, Oh, you cannot, we cannot afford that. And those words right there instilled into me still today I, I hate to always hear those words and it's not about the money. It's not about the, it's not about the material things. It is being told that you can't have it. You exactly. can't achieve it. It's more of that. It's kind of a poor man's mentality, right? It's oh, exactly. You said that so well. Yeah. And so I, I, that was just something that was instilled into my drive very early on in life to always uh, take ownership of and be in control of what my destiny is going to be. I never wanted to repeat the patterns of my family. Uh, I mean, I love my family, grew up, would not change my childhood for anything, but I didn't want to repeat the patterns of a poor man's mentality. I wanted to break that cycle. And uh, so that was my kind of get off the bench moment. I didn't realize it when I was in high school or, you know, early college, but today I reflect back on that and it's still a driving force. How, how would you say that compares to, to you? I, very much so because, uh, you know, a lot of hand-me-downs, a lot of things. And, and, uh, and then I just remember at, at 16 or getting to be 16, I was probably closer at the end of 14 or 15. I was going to get my driver's license. And I knew I was told, Hey, you want a car, you're, you're paying for it. And just as I would have to go to school and um, I ended up buying a Camaro for my brother-in-law was my first car I bought at 16. And I loved that car, a 69 Camaro. I wish I had it today. It was oh, cool no doubt. No and, doubt. Uh, but it was pretty beat up when I got it. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I remember the, the credit union, my, my mother went and co-signed with me. She couldn't afford to make the payment if I didn't. I don't know why they gave us the loan, but they let me buy. I think I paid $2,000 or something for the car, and my payments were $57. And so I worked all the time to, to, to make that just so I could have that car. But same thing, it, James, that wanting, wanting a better life. And then something happened. I was 
probably a sophomore in college, and a buddy of mine got through his dad or something. There were two cassette programs. I'll never forget. Mm. Um, Earl Nightingale, and it was like eight cassettes. If you remember who Earl Nightingale was, for our younger listeners, they're not going to remember who the heck he was, but him and Zig Ziglar. And man, I must have wore those tapes out. I bet I listened to those because they were about setting goals and achieving and getting more out of life, which is, it, it just rang real true. It was stuff I'd never heard from my background. It, it was not talked about in our household. It was just, but it rang so true to me. And they, they were life-changing messages, so to speak. So have you ever felt like, have you ever, I mean, obviously uh, uh, you've been in and out of different positions. Uh, you've, uh, I've kind of feel like I've gone up the corporate ladder and back down uh, being an engineer and being in the automotive industry. And, and um, did you ever feel like you were just suffocated by a job that you were in? maybe even having the golden handcuffs put on you because of the amount of money that you were making or the salary that you had and you feel like you were just stuck and you feel, and you, did you ever feel like there was one of those, those moments when you're like, man, if I do this for the rest of my life, I'm absolutely going to die. Yes, exactly. There's a couple of times it happened. Um, Janice and I were, Barely new into our marriage. By that, I mean a couple of years. Uh, we had three kids, one more on the way. And we were living in Houston. And I was selling homes for a home builder. And the home builder went out of business. So I wasn't selling my, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, you weren't. Well, I don't know. Is that a reflection on you or is that a reflection on the builder? <laughs> and, and I, but I was working, you know, basically six, seven days a week, all day. And we had family. I was never spending any time. And, you know, somebody that we were sending our home building loans to said, you should talk to somebody about the mortgage business. Mm. And so I went and interviewed with a guy named Bob Savage. I still know Bob to this day. He's an awesome guy. And, um, but he was crazy enough to give me a chance. And I started out as an assistant loan officer. And there was something about understanding the financials of putting loans together and helping people to get into homes. And it was life changing. And so that's, that's probably uh, the, the first one. And then um, I've been doing corporate life now in the mortgage business for probably 28 to 30 years. And uh, as Janice and I moved, we moved back. We had been up in Wisconsin um, I was CEO at a fairly large company and, and we moved back, James, you're going to find this hard to believe, but we moved back because Janice, all our grandkids are here in Texas and she thinks they're cuter than me for some reason. <laughs> and, no uh, doubt. But I, that's when we decided to open up Lakeway Lending. We're just kicking that off because, uh, I thought, okay, I've done my corporate get, I don't want to do it anymore. Nothing about, I had made, made a great living, worked with some incredible people, very intelligent. But to your question, it was, it, it just wasn't time anymore. I had time to do something different. Yeah. You had limitations. You yeah. had limitations within your, your ability to do what you want. It's interesting. Uh, uh, same story for me. Uh, I was in the engineering world, had a severance package 
uh, company down downsized and had a severance package. And I came back to Tennessee to, uh, to, uh, go to a Halloween party and, uh, kicking back a few cocktails and a friend of mine says, man, you'd be great in the mortgage business. And I said, Oh, you're crazy. Well, at that time, 2008, all it took was a hundred dollars in a heartbeat basically and fill out an application and you're a loan <laughs> officer. Yeah, I remember those. Days. And I thought, well, this is a little demoralizing that I have a, uh, um, an engineering degree, but man, I got to tell you, sometimes it's in God's plan and you don't know what door is going to open till you shut another door. Uh, or till another door shuts on you. Um, and, and, and it opened my eyes. So as I said at the beginning of the show, I opened my eyes to maybe seeing that there might be something out there bigger and better than engineering that put me in a better uh, my, uh, space mentally and emotionally. And um, I got into it. And in my first year, I made, I think, 75, 80% of what my salary would have been in engineering and had way much, way more freedom, way more flexibility. And I thought, man, how long has this been going on? And so it, this is Do not. Do you mind me asking you, how much more have you gone over? Because I know from coaching. Uh, four times. You're one of the best, four times. Yeah, four times up to this point, four to five times more uh, now than I ever made in engineering. And probably, uh, probably make more than most doctors uh, today that have spent years and years in, in, in school and residency. Now, I'm, we're not here to promote the mortgage business, but it's to, it's to show that there is symbolism to when you find something that you're really happy and passionate about, uh, it naturally transcends into uh, uh, the income will follow. Um, and it doesn't always even have to be about the income. It just happened to be for me. But you're happier. You're more fulfilled. You're helping people. Is that, is that fair? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, some, something else you said though, I, I want to go back just a second because you touched on something really important and you and I listen to some of the same people and read the same books and we share those things. I wanted to point out something that to me is kind of obvious, maybe not to you. The reason, one of the reasons you talk about your engineering degree and one of the reasons you're so successful is I love your thought process. Uh, you and I kind of approach the business sometimes in very similar ways that way. And that's what makes you so successful compared to a lot of guys who don't think like that. So all that engineering was, was prepping you to get into this and really apply yeah. those skill sets and then is, uh, our friend Ed, we listened to, says, you know, when, when you were getting your package and getting laid off and you thought, God, what, you know, kind of humbling experience, you know, but the truth is, I really believe life doesn't happen to us. It's happening for us. We may mm. not see it at the time. Mm. Right? Mm, sure. Really, life was happening for you, even though in the, in the, in the crux of it, right, you're thinking, well, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and pri just prior to that uh, that experience, um, I had developed a product that looks like uh, synthetic or real limestone, and and uh, had a partner. And long long and short of it is, we we had this product. I put my sweat, blood, and tears in for about four years, raised money. It's all over Nashville here, um, and I got basically ousted out of my own company by a new investor that came in, and I was devastated. And 
um, because I thought this was my mother of all mother loads. I developed this product. Uh, it was going like gangbusters. I, I had a very small minority ownership. Uh, I'd been diluted down so much by investors coming in and, but I was willing to take all this risk and I, I sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And then I wake up one day and because of the falling out I had with my partner, the, the, uh, the investor at the time basically had to side with whoever had the majority of the ownership. And I kind of was basically said they couldn't afford to give me a paycheck. Well, that was my way of saying, see you later alligator. I went home, I hopped on my lawnmower and I thought, good Lord, what is going to happen to me now? Yeah. I have put everything into this startup company, developing this product, getting a patent, getting a patent on this product. And, and now I'm out of the company that I had helped so much to develop. And I thought, what is in God's plan that could be better for me than this? And then we fast forward another year and a half later and I get into the mortgage business. And so I reflect back on that if that door hadn't have shut, I would not even be, we wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have met you, Kevin. I yep. mean, and that was, that's terrible in itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, but, but you're, you're dead on because it, we, when we're going through the storm, mm. we, we, we don't see it that way. But again, life's happening for us, not to us. And uh, look at how much happier and how much better off you are. And I know the hundreds of families you help every single year. It, it's just amazing. I just love your story. So um, yeah, it, when you, it's you cool. Know, that you're you're humble enough to share and and be vulnerable and share that because a lot of people don't. But when when you do, I and as you talk about God's plan, once you start understanding life's happening to you or for you instead of to you, um, one of our other friends, you know, Tammy, had me listen. I listen to books as much as I read them. Um, I, I'm a terrible reader. Books. I'm a terrible reader. So yeah, I like to listen to them too. <laughs> and and so. Joe Olstein has a great book, The Power of I Am, and mm -hmm. talking about your thought process and what comes out of your mouth and what happens to you. And uh, boy, I, I think I've gone through that book three, four times. Yeah. So what what I realized, and you even reflected on this, what I learned is that I was really applying a lot of principles to the mortgage business in uh, that I had learned in engineering. There's still a manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. I'm still working with numbers. Uh, but the biggest thing is I'm still solving problems. I'm still putting the puzzle together for and providing solutions to a problem that a client has. And, and then it added a fourth one. I now be, um, I was now able to directly work with the end user that I always necessarily wasn't able to do in engineering. And, uh, and so I, I started putting all that together and I said, man, I, I am in the right place. I am in the right place. And, and then it's, it's kind of gone up uh, ever since then. And so when did you realize you were in the right place? It was, um, well, it was interesting because I got in the mortgage business and we had all these kids and, I didn't make money my first year, but I just kind of knew in my heart, I, I, I was enjoying it and I was helping people. And if I would just keep building relationships, 
you know, I, now that, as I say, I knew in my heart, I didn't know it every day. <laughs> you know, there were, there are a lot of nights I went home and what in the hell are you doing? But, uh, but you just, yeah. you know, you, you gotta, that persistence and compounding uh, so many times. I see it with people in our industry. I see it with kids. I see it with our friends that they're, they don't even know they're about to win. And, and, and they give up too soon because they're just, their minds playing with them. That monkey mind of doubt that the Buddhists call it um, runs. But the truth is it, it, it's kind of like, I like the, the analogy. It's like a pinata, you know, you hit it and nothing happens. You hit it and you hit and you see those kids at the, at the birthday party, but then soon they make a crack and a little bit comes out and then they keep whacking it. But then pretty soon, if you keep after it, and all that candy and, and, and prizes come out. And, and life's very, very similar. And I think that applies to any business. If, if it, because if it was easy, as the old saying goes, you know, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, so what do you think the fundamental reason, in your opinion, is, you, you know, you, you've listened to a lot of uh, self-motivation uh, type of, of uh books or, uh, or maybe even read books, uh, personal coaching. What do you think is the fundamental reason why people have fear of failure? What, what, what is so bad about failing? Is it just, do you think it's because of maybe their repeated patterns from their childhood? Is it because of a, a particular event? Do you think well, it's, it's what a great thing? question, and and we. And how do you overcome it? And how do you overcome it? Okay, and in our our book on call reluctance, but the call reluctance book we did applies to every industry, to every job, every sale. What happens? I discovered is because we all. I don't know about you, but we set these goals, right? Everybody, you know, the New Year's resolution or whatever you do, and you set them, but we don't stick with them. We we have integrity. Right. If I say I'm calling James at three, I'm going to call him at three. But I don't have self-integrity and hold myself to doing what I need to long enough. And once you and the reason that is, is because the pain sets in there. there our mind is broken into two pieces. There's what they There's a couple of books on this. Dr. Daniel Kettleman wrote one called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. And he talks about the two systems mm. of the brain. But system one is very, very much the basics of life. It is your belief systems. It, it is, is your fight or flight, is your fear. And then your system two is your logical. It's, it's where you set your goals. It's where you, where you talk and communicate with people. But the challenge is our behavior is driven off our beliefs because our beliefs create emotion and our emotions create our actions. And if there's something that happens in the past, we have all these patterns. We have things that we know, but there's things that we truly believe, like don't ever touch a hot stove. Well, we don't know if the stove is hot or not, but we sure aren't going to touch it again. And so that, yeah. what happens is if you have a belief system, and, and, and there's another piece to this, the challenge is, these days, one of the biggest fears we have is acceptance. 
We want to be accepted. And, and there's a University of Michigan study in 2011 that said social rejection puts off the same opiates as if you were physically injured. And opiates are something in the brain, a chemical in the brain that sure. is shot in whenever you're physically injured. Well, the same thing happens if you are socially rejected. So the fear of getting out there and failing and not being accepted and losing and losing income and, and, and losing friendships or people talk, that, that's, that's a lot of pressure for folks. And, and so what we will do, the, the system one I was talking about is always going out and judging whatever you're doing about five times every second to make sure that you're safe, you're secure. It's number one job is to protect the mind and body. And if it feels, and I'll rattle on here, so if you need to interrupt. No, no, you're, no, you're on a roll. But, but if, if it feels that you're in danger by something you're about to do, and, and, and you, it doesn't, you don't logically think like this, but it looks at your belief system and it projects and it jumps to conclusions. Oh, that might be risky. James, don't go do that mortgage business or, or go build, you know, this podcast that's going to help all these people. There could be, you know, people could judge and what it'll do is it will automatically start coming up with things and throwing them in your way to distract you to something safe and familiar. It will go out of its way. It is the biggest spin doctor you've seen. It makes those guys in Washington look like amateurs. Mm -hmm. And it will come up with whether it's email or the kids or I better do this first or wait, I'll start that tomorrow. It will always come up. To, and, and, and so it's a protection mechanism. Does that make sense? Yeah, you said the key, you said a very key word there that I want to emphasize, put in quotations, underline, and put in bold, and that is distractions. Distractions, man. Listeners, distractions will keep you uh, in, the, in reverse rather than in a forward motion. You will be in the rear view mirror looking instead instead of forward facing, looking out the front window. Uh, distractions, it can be as minor uh, as checking email to as major as having uh, some significant roadblocks uh, in other ways. Um, man, that's good stuff, Kevin. That's, that's really good, um, really good. Uh, insight on how that, that 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 might be the best answer I've ever heard on on fear and um, and man if if the listeners I think they might even rewind that little section right there and listen to it again um, so good stuff so now obviously you've I mean we're not sitting here either one of us sitting here saying that we still don't have our own fears uh, still every, today, day. every day, every only day, only the days that end in Y. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and, and we were talking just before we got on the show about being uncomfortable and it's real easy to be comfortable so that you don't have fear. And, um, so if there's anything that I would urge our listeners to do, uh, starting today is start doing something that makes them just a little uncomfortable. Maybe it is a, a speaking engagement. Uh, number one, I, before I got started doing podcasts, uh, I 
was I would go on different uh, lunch and learns and speaking in front of some realtor groups that used to kind of get me a little bit uh, tense and on edge. And uh, man, I don't, you know, I don't want to say something that sounds like I'm a Southern hillbilly uh, or uh, have marbles in my mouth. Well, guess what? I probably have done that and I probably still will do that, but I don't have that fear anymore. And now I've, uh, now I'm trying to get this major go big or go home event here in Nashville in June. I'm going to put that shameless plug in right now. Uh, that we'll be selling tickets for. Well, I'm going to be on stage in, in front of 500 to 1,000 people, and I'm putting on the show. And so for that, for me to take that and feel comfortable with that would be an absolute lie. <laughs> well, but good for you. And it's going to work. And the reason it's going to work is myself and so many of us, even the successful people that are already out there, as you said, they all had their fears. We all need to hear this. We all need to go through it. We need to reinforce it. And so, yeah, so there's several things you can do to help overcome it, but you have to face it. And, um, and you got to stop negotiating with yourself. You know, it's, it's like going to the gym, you know, sure. There's a little bit of stress there, but it's worth it. But as long as you're you're asking yourself, oh, is this going to be worth it? You're negotiating with yourself and you have to get to a point where you're going to commit. And it's kind of like, as if you're a, an adult and you have children and you driving down the road and you see a car accident and all of a sudden you notice, boy, that's my other car. And my kids are in that. You would do anything. You don't care what's going on. You're going to do anything to go make sure your family is safe. And you you got to get to that same level of commitment, and you can't. You got to stop wor worrying about how other people judge you, because the truth is, James, you and I know this, uh, but they don't think about us as much as we think they do, and because they're, they're too busy worried about themselves. And but as long as you're worried about what other people might think if you fail what you're doing is you're giving your power away, right? Mm. You've got to stop giving that power away and make that commitment and have self-integrity with yourself. And because everybody gets judged and it's the little people who judge. And, and I heard a story the other day. I thought, man, this is just perfect. It, it, they said, you know, I think it was Andy Andrews said this, but uh, give him credit because it, it was his story. But he told this story how, you know, Mother Teresa, help the poor and build all those folks. And then, then the church wanted to make her a saint. Well, when going through sainthood, there were people, there was literally a, a panel and there were people who said, well, man, she did this and worked this miracle and worked up. And then others would say, yeah, but I heard her say something bad once. There, it, it doesn't matter. The mm -hmm. little people are always going to judge because of their fears and they make it, but you literally got to emotionally disconnect from what other people think. Yeah, the bigger you get, uh, the more out there you get, the more naysayers that you'll have. And uh, whether that's a jealousy on, on the naysayers or, uh, you know, in general, people are just negative anyway. Uh, it's hard for people to be positive. Um, so there's always gonna, it's, it's so easy to be negative. It is so hard to be positive. And so I try to catch myself each and every day 
to say positive things more than I do anything negative. If I say something negative, no matter how minor or major it may be, I try to catch myself and, and rewrite that script into a positive connotation. You said one thing, uh, I've got it dated here from 12, four of 19. So just last month, actually a month and a half ago. Um, and you quote unquote said, I have broken promises to myself. You have, and, and, and you have let yourself down because you think it's okay. Start holding yourself accountable. I have broken promises to myself. And that, isn't that a real, that's kind of a real fear, right? It, it is because it's easier. That gets back to that self-integrity I talked about earlier. It's easier for me to have integrity because I made a promise to somebody else. But what if we should love ourselves enough to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep this promise to myself. Um, and if you do that, that's what will help you keep going and get through the pain and the pain will be worth it, but you have to risk it, but you got to set that goal. You got to be committed. You got to have that self integrity and don't break the promises to yourself because you're worth more than you ever think you are. You're yeah. more amazing than you think you are. I promise you, everybody is. And, and, and I would encourage everybody. I say this on about every episode and I'll continue to say it. Uh, nothing, just when you think you know everything that you can possibly know about life, about business, about family, you need to put yourself in check and get yourself a coach. And if that's a life coach, if that's a business coach, uh, spend money, invest in yourself. We take all the time, uh, with our kids, uh, coaching them on dance, coaching them uh, on, on basketball and soccer and, and cheer camp and, and spending all this money on costumes. You're investing in your children your entire life, but why don't you invest in yourself? And I think if you would take the time to spend money on investing in yourself, whether it's self-help or listening to some free podcasts like this, or even getting a personal coach, depending on what you want to do next in your life, it will be the best money ever spent. It'll be the best time ever spent. It's going to make you a better you uh, so that you can be a more fulfilling spouse, a more fulfilling uh, father, mother, and of course, uh, 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 happier in life. You know, I think that's great advice. And here's why. I mean, obviously, you look at any of the pro athletes making million. They all have coaches. And, and I was at dinners. We, we all remember a guy that, if you remember the 1980 Olympic hockey team, and they won the gold. Well, Jim Craig, who was the goalie, is a coach now. And I was having dinner with Jim one night, and who he coaches is Bill Belichick. So even the coach has a coach. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's just a good coach is going to do a couple things for you. They're going to understand your goals. And they're going to understand and give you some perspectives that maybe you're not seeing because you're in the thick of things. And they'll understand your why and really get to know you and what drives you. And so they can high five you and be there, your best supporter, give you the hug when you need it. 
but also kick us in the pants when we need it, which we all need from time to time. And so yeah, I, I, I think know you, all, you obviously invest in coaches. I do. I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. It, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, so sometimes uh, uh, we think we know what's going on, but we're inside the picture. We're inside the picture frame. And so, you know, until you know what's going on outside your frame, uh, you never will truly understand what might be going on inside the picture. So, well, man, I'll tell you, I, we're going to, we're going to, that, that, that's a perfect way to end this episode. Um, uh, man, we could go on and on and keep talking and, and very insightful. I love the, the back and forth that we've had on, on sharing some of these things, maybe down the road, we'll connect again on, on a future later podcast. Um, but I appreciate you James, so much. Can I say one thing before Absolutely. we go? Absolutely. For those of you listening, attend James's event. I get nothing for this. I'm not saying this, but I know this guy. I respect him. I listen to him. I tell you what, you will, you couldn't find a better way to spend a day. So plan on going to his event. Keep listening because man, I ever, I, I just get nuggets. I'm his coach and I always walk away probably with more nuggets than I give him. And, and I just, I'm honored to be your friend and uh, work with you. So you're, you're doing a great thing here. Keep it up, brother. Well, I appreciate that. So listeners out there, we uh, please continuing to like and share our go big or go home with James Harper. We're going to continue to bring more content to you every two weeks. Uh, we release our podcast on Thursdays. Uh, every two weeks, and we'll continue to have more guests with better content, more involved content than we've ever had to help bring more to you. And the only way we get the message out there is if you like and share our podcast. Uh, you can also visit us at www.nashvillemortgagelenders.com. You can access, access the podcast through our website or through any major streaming podcast service such as Spotify, Apple, et cetera. Uh, so thank you for listening to us today. We appreciate you uh, tuning in on, uh, uh, on your daily journey, wherever that may take you. Have a great day. God bless you all. Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc., NMLS 3094. James Harper, Division Manager, Primary Residential Mortgage, Hendersonville, Tennessee, NMLS 71317. 131 Saundersville Road, Suite 140, Hendersonville, Tennessee 37075. Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc. is an equal housing lender. Some products and services may not be available in all states. Credit and collateral are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. Programs, rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change and are subject to borrowers qualification.